Section 3 of The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. Translated from the German by Marion Evans. Chapter 1 Introduction Section 2 Part 1 the essence of religion considered generally what we have hitherto been maintaining generally even with regard to sensational impressions of the relation between subject and object applies especially to the relation between the subject and the religious object in the perceptions of the senses consciousness of the object is distinguishable from consciousness of self but in religion consciousness of the object and self-consciousness coincide the object of the senses is out of man the religious object is within him and therefore as little forsakes him as his self-consciousness or his conscience it is the intimate the closest object god says augustine for example is nearer more related to us and therefore more easily known by us than sensible corporeal things the object of the senses is in itself indifferent independent of the disposition or of the judgment but the object of religion is a selected object the most excellent the first the supreme being it essentially presupposes a critical judgment a discrimination between the divine and the non-divine between that which is worthy of adoration and that which is not worthy and here may be applied without any limitation the proposition the object of any subject is nothing else than the subject's own nature taken objectively such as are man's thoughts and dispositions such is his god so much worth as man has so much and no more has his god consciousness of god is self-consciousness knowledge of god is self-knowledge by his god thou knowest the man and by the man his god the two are identical whatever is god to a man that is his heart and soul and conversely god is the manifested inward nature the expressed self of a man religion the solemn unveiling of a man's hidden treasures the revelation of his intimate thoughts the open confession of his love secrets but when religion consciousness of god is designated as the self-consciousness of man this is not to be understood as affirming that the religious man is directly aware of this identity for on the contrary ignorance of it is fundamental to the peculiar nature of religion to preclude this misconception it is better to say religion is man's earliest and also indirect form of self-knowledge hence religion everywhere precedes philosophy as in the history of the race so also in that of the individual man first of all sees his nature as if out of himself before he finds it in himself his own nature is in the first instance contemplated by him 
as that of another being. Religion is the childlike condition of humanity, but the child sees his nature, man, out of himself. In childhood, a man is an object to himself under the form of another man. Hence, the historical progress of religion consists in this, that what by an earlier religion was regarded as objective is now recognized as subjective. That is, what was formerly contemplated and worshipped as God is now perceived to be something human. What was at first religion becomes at a later period idolatry. Man is seen to have adored his own nature. Man has given objectivity to himself, but has not recognized the object as his own nature. A later religion takes this forward step. Every advance in religion is therefore a deeper self-knowledge. But every particular religion, while it pronounces its predecessors idolatrous, accepts itself, and necessarily so, otherwise it would no longer be religion. From the fate, the common nature of all religions. It imputes only to other religions what is the fault, if fault it be, of religion in general. Because it has a different object, a different tenor, because it has transcended the ideas of preceding religions, it erroneously supposes itself exalted above the necessary eternal laws which constitute the essence of religion. It fancies its objects, its ideas, to be superhuman. But the essence of the religion, thus hidden from the religious, is evident to the thinker by whom religion is viewed objectively, which it cannot be by its votaries. And it is our task to show that the antithesis of divine and human is altogether illusory, that it is nothing else than the antithesis between the human nature in general and the human individual that consequently the object and contents of the Christian religion are altogether human. Religion, at least the Christian, is the relation of man to himself, or more correctly, to his own nature, i.e. his subjective nature, but a relation to it viewed as a nature apart from his own. The divine being is nothing else than the human being, or, rather, the human nature purified, freed from the limits of the individual man, made objective, i.e., contemplated and revered as another, a distinct being. All the attributes of the divine nature are, therefore, attributes of the human nature. In relation to the attributes, the predicates of the divine being, this is admitted without hesitation but by no means in relation to the subject of these predicates. The negation of the subject is held to be irreligion, nay, atheism, though not so the negation of the predicates. But that which has no predicates or qualities has no effect upon me. That which has no effect upon me has no existence for me. To deny all the qualities of a being is equivalent to denying the being himself. A being without qualities is one which cannot become an object to the mind, and such a being is virtually non-existent. 
where man deprives God of all qualities, God is no longer anything more to him than a negative being. To the truly religious man, God is not a being without qualities, because to him he is a positive, real being. The theory that God cannot be defined, and consequently cannot be known by man, is therefore the offspring of recent times, a product of modern unbelief. As reason is, and can be pronounced finite, only where man regards sensual enjoyment, or religious emotion, or aesthetic contemplation, or moral sentiment, as the absolute, the true, so the proposition that God is unknowable or undefinable can only be enunciated and become fixed as a dogma, where this object has no longer any interest for the intellect, where the real, the positive, alone has any hold on man, where the real alone has for him the significance of the essential, of the absolute divine object. But where, at the same time, in contradiction with this purely worldly tendency, there yet exists some old remains of religiousness. On the ground that God is unknowable, man excuses himself to what is yet remaining of his religious conscience for his forgetfulness of God, his absorption in the world. He denies God practically by his conduct. The world has possession of all his thoughts and inclinations. But he does not deny him theoretically. He does not attack his existence. He lets that rest. But this existence does not affect or incommode him. It is a merely negative existence, an existence without existence, a self-contradictory existence, a state of being which, as to its effects, is not distinguishable from non-being. The denial of determinate positive predicates concerning the divine nature is nothing else than a denial of religion, with, however, an appearance of religion in its favor, so that it is not recognized as a denial, it is simply a subtle, disguised atheism. The alleged religious horror of limiting God by positive predicates is only the irreligious wish to know nothing more of God, to banish God from the mind. Dread of limitation is dread of existence. All real existence, i.e., all existence which is truly such, is qualitative, determinative existence. He who earnestly believes in the divine existence is not shocked at the attributing even of gross sensuous qualities to God. He who dreads an existence that may give offense, who shrinks from a grossness of a positive predicate, may as well renounce existence altogether. A God who is injured by determinate qualities has not the courage and the strength to exist. Qualities are the fire, the vital breath, the oxygen, the salt of existence. An existence in general, an existence without qualities, is an insipidity, an absurdity. But there can be no more in God than is supplied by religion. Only where man loses his taste for religion, and thus religion itself becomes insipid, does the existence of God become an insipid existence, 
an existence without qualities. There is, however, a still milder way of denying the divine predicates than the direct one just described. It is admitted that the predicates of the divine nature are finite, and more particularly human qualities, but their rejection is rejected. They are even taken under protection, because it is necessary to man to have a definite conception of God, and since he is man, he can form no other than a human conception of him. In relation to God, it is said these predicates are certainly without any objective validity. But to me, if he is to exist for me, he cannot appear otherwise than as he does appear to me, namely, as a being with attributes analogous to the human. But this distinction between what God is in himself and what he is for me destroys the peace of religion and is besides in itself an unfounded and untenable distinction. I cannot know whether God is something else in himself or for himself than he is for me. What he is to me is to me all that he is. For me, there lies in these predicates under which he exists for me what he is in himself, his very nature. He is for me what he can alone ever be for me. The religious man finds perfect satisfaction in that which God is in relation to himself. Of any other relation he knows nothing, for God is to him what he can alone be to man. In the distinction above stated, man takes a point of view above himself, i.e. above his nature, the absolute measure of his being. But this transcendentalism is only an illusion. For I can make the distinction between the object as it is in itself and the object as it is for me only where an object can really appear otherwise to me. Not where it appears to me such as the absolute measure of my nature determines it to appear, such as it must appear to me. It is true that I may have a merely subjective conception i.e., one which does not arise out of the general constitution of my species. But if my conception is determined by the constitution of my species, the distinction between what an object is in itself and what it is for me ceases. For this conception is itself an absolute one. The measure of the species is the absolute measure law, and criterion of man. And indeed, religion has the conviction that its conceptions, its predicates of God, are such as every man ought to have, and must have, if he would have the true ones, that they are the conceptions necessary to human nature. Nay, further, that they are objectively true, representing God as he is. To every religion, the gods of other religions are only notions concerning God, but its own conception of God is to it God himself, the true God, God such as he is in himself. Religion is satisfied only with a complete deity, a God without reservation. It will not have a mere phantasm of God, it demands God himself. 
Religion gives up its own existence when it gives up the nature of God. It is no longer a truth when it renounces the possession of the true God. Skepticism is the arch-enemy of religion. But the distinction between the object and conception, between God as he is in himself and God as he is for me, is a skeptical distinction, and therefore an irreligious one. That which is to man the self-existent, the highest being, to which he can conceive nothing higher, that is to him the divine being. How then should he inquire concerning this being, what he is in himself? If God were an object to the bird, he would be a winged being. The bird knows nothing higher, nothing more blissful than the winged condition. How ludicrous would it be if this bird pronounced, To me God appears as a bird, but what he is in himself I know not. To the bird the highest nature is the bird nature. Take from him the conception of this, and you take from him the conception of the highest being. How then could he ask whether God in himself were winged? To ask whether God is in himself what he is for me, is to ask whether God is God, is to lift oneself above one's God, to rise up against him. Wherever, therefore, this idea that the religious predicates are only anthropomorphisms has taken possession of a man, there has doubt, has unbelief, obtain the mastery of faith. And it is only the inconsequence of faint-heartedness and intellectual imbecility which does not proceed from this idea to the formal negation of the predicates, and from thence to the negation of the subject to which they relate. If thou doubtest the objective truth of the predicates, thou must also doubt the objective truth of the subject whose predicates they are. If thy predicates are anthropomorphisms, the subject of them is an anthropomorphism too. If love, goodness, personality, etc., are human attributes, so also is the subject which thou presupposest the existence of God. The belief that there is a God, an anthropomorphism, a presupposition purely human. Whence knowest thou that the belief in a God at all is not a limitation of man's mode of conception? Higher beings, and thou supposest such, are perhaps so blessed in themselves, so at unity with themselves, that they are not hung in suspense between themselves and a yet higher being. To know God and not oneself is to be God. To know blessedness and not oneself to enjoy it is a state of disunity, of unhappiness. Higher beings know nothing of this unhappiness. They have no conception of that which they are not. Thou believest in love as a divine attribute because thou thyself lovest. Thou believest that God is a wise, benevolent being, because thou knowest nothing better in thyself than benevolence and wisdom. And thou believest that God exists, that therefore he is a subject, whatever exists is a subject, whether it be defined as substance, persons, essence, or otherwise, because thou thyself existest, art thyself a subject. 
thou knowest no higher human good than to love than to be good and wise and even so thou knowest no higher happiness than to exist to be a subject for the consciousness of all reality of all bliss is for thee bound up in the consciousness of being a subject of existing god is an existence a subject to thee for the same reason that he is to thee a wise a blessed a personal being the distinction between the divine predicates and the divine subject is only this that to thee the subject the existence does not appear an anthropomorphism because the conception of it is necessarily involved in thy own existence as a subject whereas the predicates do appear anthropomorphisms because their necessity the necessity that god should be conscious wise good etc is not an immediate necessity identical with the being of man but is evolved by his self-consciousness by the activity of his thought i am a subject i exist whether i be wise or unwise good or bad to exist is to man the first datum it constitutes the very idea of the subject it is presupposed by the predicates hence man relinquishes the predicates but the existence of god is to him a settled irrefragable absolutely certain objective truth but nevertheless this distinction is merely an apparent one the necessity of the subject lies only in the necessity of the predicate thou art a subject only in so far as thou art a human subject the certainty and reality of thy existence lie only in the certainty and reality of thy human attributes what the subject is lies only in the predicate the predicate is the truth of the subject the subject only the personified existing predicate the predicate conceived as existing subject and predicate are distinguished only as existence and essence the negation of the predicates is therefore the negation of the subject what remains of the human subject when abstracted from the human attributes even in the language of common life the divine predicates providence omniscience omnipotence are put for the divine subject the certainty of the existence of god of which it has been said that it is as certain nay more certain to man than his own existence depends only on the certainty of the qualities of god it is in itself no immediate certainty to the christian the existence of the christian god only is a certainty to the heathen that of the heathen god only the heathen did not doubt the existence of jupiter because he took no offence at the nature of jupiter because he could conceive of god under no other qualities because to him these qualities were a certainty a divine reality the reality of the predicate is the sole guarantee of existence whatever man conceives to be true he immediately conceives to be real that is to have an objective existence because originally only the real is true to him true in opposition to what is merely conceived dreamed imagined 
the idea of being of existence is the original idea of truth or originally man makes truth dependent on existence subsequently existence dependent on truth now god is the nature of man regarded as absolute truth the truth of man but god or what is the same thing religion is as various as are the conditions under which man conceives this his nature regards it as the highest being these conditions then under which man conceives god are to him the truth and for that reason they are also the highest existence or rather they are existence itself for only the emphatic the highest existence is existence and deserves this name therefore god is an existent real being on the very same ground that he is a particular definite being for the qualities of god are nothing else than the essential qualities of man himself and a particular man is what he is he has his existence his reality only in his particular conditions take away from the greek the quality of being greek and you take away his existence on this ground it is true that for a definite positive religion that is relatively the certainty of the existence of god is immediate for just as involuntarily as necessarily as the greek was a greek so necessarily were his gods greek beings so necessarily were they real existent beings religion is that conception of the nature of the world and of man which is essential to i e identical with a man's nature but man does not stand above this his necessary conception on the contrary it stands above him it animates determines governs him the necessity of a proof of a middle term to unite qualities with existence the possibility of a doubt is abolished only that which is apart from my own being is capable of being doubted by me how then can i doubt of god who is my being to doubt of god is to doubt of myself only when god is thought of abstractly when his predicates are the result of philosophic abstraction arises the distinction or separation between subject and predicate existence and nature arises the fiction that the existence or the subject is something else than the predicate something immediate indubitable in distinction from the predicate which is held to be doubtful but this is only a fiction a god who has abstract predicates has also an abstract existence existence being varies with varying qualities the identity of the subject and predicate is clearly evidenced by the progressive development of religion which is identical with the progressive development of human culture so long as man is in the mere state of nature so long is his god a mere nature god a personification of some natural force when man inhabits houses he also encloses his gods in temples the temple is only a manifestation of the value which man attaches to beautiful buildings 
Temples in honor of religion are in truth temples in honor of architecture. With the emerging of man from his state of savagery and wildness to one of culture, with the distinction between what is fitting for man and what is not fitting, arises simultaneously the distinction between that which is fitting and that which is not fitting for God. God is the idea of majesty, of the highest dignity, for religious sentiment is the sentiment of supreme fitness. The later, more cultured artists of Greece were the first to embody in the statues of the gods the idea of dignity, of spiritual grandeur, of imperturbable repose and serenity. But why were these qualities, in their view, attributes, predicates of God? Because they were in themselves regarded by the Greeks as divinities. Why did those artists exclude all disgusting and low passions? because they perceive them to be unbecoming, unworthy, unhuman, and consequently ungodlike. The Homeric gods eat and drink. That implies eating and drinking is a divine pleasure. Physical strength is an attribute of the Homeric gods. Zeus is the strongest of the gods. Why? Because physical strength, in and by itself, was regarded as something glorious, divine. To the ancient Germans, the highest virtues were those of the warrior. Therefore, their supreme god was the god of war, Odin, war, the original or oldest law. Not the attribute of the divinity, but the divineness or deity of the attribute is the first true divine being. Thus what theology and philosophy have held to be God, the absolute, the infinite, is not God, but that which they have held not to be God is God, namely, the attribute, the quality, whatever has reality. Hence he alone is a true atheist to whom the predicates of divine being, for example, love, wisdom, justice, are nothing. Not he to whom merely the subject of these predicates is nothing and in no wise is the negation of the subject necessarily also a negation of the predicates considered in themselves. These have an intrinsic, independent reality. They force their recognition upon man by their very nature. They are self-evident truths to him. They prove, they attest themselves. It does not follow that goodness, justice, wisdom are chimeras, because the existence of God is a chimera nor truths, because this is a truth. The idea of God is dependent on the idea of justice, of benevolence. A God who is not benevolent, not just, not wise, is no God. But the converse does not hold. The fact is not that a quality is divine because God has it, but that God has it because it is in itself divine because without it, God would be a defective being. Justice, wisdom, in general, every quality which constitutes the divinity of God is determined and known by itself independently. But the idea of God is determined by the qualities which have thus been previously judged to be worthy of divine nature. Only in the case in which I identify God and justice, 
in which I think of God immediately as the reality of the idea of justice, is the idea of God self-determined. But if God as a subject is the determined, while the quality, the predicate, is the determining, then in truth the rank of the Godhead is due not to the subject, but to the predicate. Not till several, and those contradictory, attributes are united in one being, and this being is conceived of as personal, the personality being thus brought into a special prominence, not until then is the origin of religion lost sight of, is it forgotten that what the activity of the reflective power has converted into a predicate, distinguishable or separable from the subject, was originally the true subject? Thus the Greeks and Romans deified accidents as substances, virtues, states of mind, passions, as independent beings. Man, especially the religious man, is to himself the measure of all things, of all reality. Whatever strongly impresses a man, whatever produces an unusual effect on his mind, if it be only a peculiar inexplicable sound or note, he personifies as a divine being. Religion embraces all the objects of the world. Everything existing has been an object of religious reverence. In the nature and consciousness of religion there is nothing else than what lies in the nature of man, and in his consciousness of himself and of the world. Religion has no material exclusively its own. In Rome even the passions of fear and terror had their temples. The Christians also made mental phenomena into independent beings, their own feelings into qualities of things the passions which govern them into powers which govern the world, in short, predicates of their own nature, whether recognized as such or not, into independent subjective existences. Devils, kobolds, witches, ghosts, angels were sacred truths as long as the religious spirit held undivided sway over mankind. End of section 3